Matthew Buckley-Smith, and you're listening to Slee Ricketts. Thank you all for listening, and thank you uh, especially for those of you who've taken a moment sometime this past week to recommend the show to a friend. That is really the way people learn about the show, and it is, it's how we've gained a, a, you know, a slow but steady number of listeners lately. Welcome to all of you. Uh, I should say, if you are new to the show... This this is a should this should be a fun episode to listen to on its own, but it probably will be even better if you first listen to episode ninety, which is called Neo Georgian Hellscape, because at least at least a large part of this episode is essentially a response to that episode. Cameron, one of my co-hosts, uh, in that episode made some <laughs> made some. Uh, sometimes uh, perhaps excessive attacks on the new formalism uh, and several of its practitioners. And and Brian Berger came this week, uh, author of Some Problems with the Autobiography, a uh, book of poetry, and um, which is you should pre-order now. I think it's not quite out yet, but you can pre-order it, as well as uh, To Crawl Under the Earth, a long essay on expansive poetry, which is sort of a a slightly clumsy term to meant to incorporate both the new formalism and narrative poetry. The, it's sort of the new narrative, but then there's another movement called the new narrative, which apparently is a completely different thing. At any rate, Brian came on to talk a little bit about new formalism broadly and specifically to respond to some of Cameron's claims. Uh, he also very kindly put together a little mini anthology of new formalist poems. I think it's 12 poets. Most of the poems we talk about are from that anthology. And rather than try to track each of them down individually, I just created a link so you can see the whole anthology that Brian created. So that is in the show notes. It's called Do Not Delete. Uh, and that's that's available in the notes as a link to a file. So I, I hope you enjoy that. I did. Uh, I also got a really thoughtful, I had a, a nice exchange actually with Sam Gwynn, uh, who publishes as R.S. Gwynn. He's a, a prolific and well-respected poet. <laughs> Cameron <laughs> Cameron was pretty hard on. Uh, Gwynn responded sort of first, not really to say anything about Cameron's criticism of his poetry, but, but to say that Cameron had recounted a story in which Sam dismissed, I think it was, he, he claimed that he dismissed Ted Hughes' book Crow as trash. And Sam's response is, you know, that he he says he has disparaged poems before, but he, he just says, I don't think I've ever called a poem trash, let alone a whole book. He also says, and I've never rejected a poem on the basis of its being free verse or whatever the operative term is now. Uh, it sounds like he's he's not a huge fan of Hughes's, though he has uh, some admiration for him. He says probably Plath is the better poet, uh, and he goes on to say that like both the terms new formalism and the term and and expansive poetry are not especially dear to or persuasive for him. I think he he would just as soon be done with all of that. And I think from his perspective, the the whole debate over new formalism and and the 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 poetry wars of the late 90s and early knots, I think, are to him old news and not especially interesting. But he was really generous in his response to 
the show overall. And, you know, I'm hopeful that he will come on and do an episode with me at some point. But uh, that to say, uh, do, do go listen to episode 90 and then listen to this episode in which you will hear vindicated, among other poets, uh, Sam Gwen. Uh, Brian brings in a really great poem of his and we, we get to talk about that at some length. So I hope you enjoyed this. This was a really good, long, dense conversation. And so I did break it into two parts. If you'd like to hear the second part, then just go to sleericketts.substack.com. Sign up for The Secret Show. If you put your email address in, I will give you a week's access for free to the 30-odd episodes that are up there now. That's uh, that's three extra episodes a month. So if you like the show, but you would like a little more, then sign up for The Secret Show. It is pretty fucking cheap, and you get a bunch of extra sleeve records. Um, that is, as I said, where the second half of this episode will go up probably probably sometime this weekend. I'm going to be traveling, but I'm going to be putting that... I'll, I'll put that up soon. I think that's all the stuff I needed to say. I'm tired as shit, and I have a flight in the morning, so I'm going to call it there. You wrote the piece is it crawling i think it's to is it to crawl under the to crawl earth? under the earth that's it yeah because yeah. it's from the um the mason poem about mason. the yeah. this is the one about the civil war yeah that's right so yeah so you wrote to crawl under the earth which is this long piece in the hopkins review a while ago about expansive poetry which we talked about as sort of narrative and new formalist poetry cameron and i talked a little bit about that and a little bit about some other things and he he took some hard swings at the new formalists and at, at the, the the larger category. And uh, I, I had been planning to have you on, but I thought it'd be good to get get some of your responses to that. You could you could uh, straighten out young young Cameron and and fill oh, us yeah. in on some things we might be missing. Any things you uh, we should just get? Yeah, the one place I think would be fun to start, which certainly would lead us into the anthology, is, um, you know, like basically uh, the the conspicuous absence, I think, in in your in your conversation about new formalism, especially Cameron and his outright dismissal of uh, new formalist poets <laughs> was, you know, especially of the kind of the OG new formalists. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was was that was poems. I mean, you know, right. so it was, you know, with a so I, so I want to make a point to um to kind of to kind of talk about that, and then I have a I have a couple of things that, like I, I thought I thought his points about Hopkins' um, letter to Robert Bridges and and the you know the the Parnassian mm-hmm. style and, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know um, Gerard Manley Hopkins is you know four different kinds of or levels of poetic language I thought was kind of interesting, and I thought that Cameron's idea about new formalists being Parnassian was interesting, but then I also wanted to question his definition of Parnassian, which I, which I, I just don't know where he, where he got it. Um, I, you know, I like, I like where he kind of took it and maybe it's his own spin on Parnassian, uh, verse or, or language, but, um, but I was kind of curious, but anyway, that, that might be something. Okay. That All right. About, yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Well, that, and so you're right that that conversation somehow became a, uh, it became like the, it was like the champions that were arbitrarily designated to determine whether or not new formalism was valid were like B- Bill Coyle versus Gerard Manley Hopkins somehow, yeah, which was not, right. I don't <laughs> think it was really fair to anybody, but, uh, but yeah, no. it was, and it was Bill, a little bit Bill, odd. Bill would have laughed about it too. Uh, right, yeah, I imagine, <laughs> I, imagine, I imagine so. 
just quickly, I wanted to mention that I got a couple of notes, one from Andre Hewlett. He, he had a few things to say. He did among them, um, right, because he, I think, mostly writes free verse poetry. He wrote, um, who are some innovative living formalist poets I should read? I have my 20th century heroes of formal exploration, but when I encounter contemporary formal poetry, I, I often think that sure is a lot of rhymed meter. It feels old fashioned to me. However, I admire the use of form in poems like, oh, right, yeah, haha, flattery. Um, who's out there doing the funky stuff? Uh, and then and then I also got, as if almost in answer, um, a note from Alfred Nichol uh, saying, in answer to Cameron's question, are the new formalists all white? Uh, he says, among the best young poets writing in form are Nosheen Yusuf, Jenna Lee, Taylor Bias, Erica Dawson, Natasha Trethaway ranks among our best poets of any stripe in the U.S. Arguably the most important publisher of formalist verse in the U.S. is Alex Peppel. I think you're right to think that, that new formalism has outgrown any clubbish exclusivity that might have been attached to it. I wouldn't be sad to see it lose the new formalist label as well. Um, so that that's a, a at least a, a a partial answer, and I know you've got you've also got an answer in this. You sent me this little you know sort of small anthology of some poems by a handful of new formalist poets, and I think what I should be able to do is just make this. I think I can set it as a link in the show notes so people can can take a look at at the poems you selected. But we'll talk about some of those, and in I guess in answer to to Andre's and, and Alfred's uh, comments, and, and any of those broader questions, any anything you want to. As the as the uh, the as the designated uh, defender of new formalism, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I guess I guess first I should say, um, I, you know, I guess it's fair that I find myself in this position of defender or uh, or apologist. <laughs> I mean, you wrote but, the big expansive poetry <laughs> essay. That's you know, you threw down a gauntlet. I did. Yeah, I, I did. I get so. I guess it's my fault. But it but it is a little. I I, I do think it is a little. Um, oh, I don't know. Um, precarious and strange but um but yeah i would say uh you know some some other names that we could mention in terms of you know diverse voices who also write very accomplished poems in meter and rhyme uh alexa sears would mm -hmm. certainly be one who just published her first book i believe in 2020 or 2021 yeah. um, so which it's is done really very like done very well in sales too it's, it's yeah it has uh, yeah it has. out of it has. out of order with i think shit, is it autumn yeah yeah, yeah. Bottom house, yeah. Nichols named some named some really fine, mm -hmm. uh, fine poets. So uh, you know, probably in a, in a couple of minutes, I'll think of three or four others. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and oh, Amit, say, Amit in, that, in that list, uh, oh, Amit Majmdar, of course. Amit yeah, for some and for some reason, we in like a couple of conversations about new formalism recently, he has not come up. I think I talked with Austin about some of this, and, and uh, Amit also did not come up there. But but yes, I think it, it would be. You'd be amiss if you did not um, oh, if you did not yeah. note him. I'll also just note for for listeners and anybody who knows any of these people that Nasheen Yusuf, generally Taylor Bias, Erica Dawson, Natasha Trethaway, I will say uh, over half of those I have I have invited on the show, and at least one is going to be coming on. So if anyone knows people, you know, always I always appreciate some nudges to to bring some of these fine poets uh, in for a conversation. And oh, and also um, Shane McRae, of course, too. Yes, um, yeah, 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 yeah. You can't. Lest we forget, I think he's. I think he's such a. Um, oh, I don't know, like con conspicuous uh, master or something that right. uh, that 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 might be why I forgot to mention him. <laughs> you know, because he's yeah. just so prolific and he's so good and he's also so distinctive in terms of his own style. You know, <laughs> like sort of a yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Well, and and the you know, and I think the the uh, also the more accomplished any poet is, the less he's going to be easily defined by, you know, any group, 
to which you might yeah. belong. That's right. Um, so yeah, but you have you so you chose a uh, a a selection here of these are I would say like are, are these all like proper capital N capital F new formalists like they they're they're sort of of an older generation for the most part um, and you you also since you know you you spoke in your essay about the category of expansive poetry um which i you know i've expressed some skepticism of just like the ability of that label to work because of you know uh both it sort of it, it feels like an accommodation and it also just feels like uh it hasn't caught fire yet but yeah what would you have to say about how to how to how we define any of these terms well, I like your I like your comment that you made on um, on the new formalist episode where uh, you were like, here, here's the flaw in that in that label, um, expansive poetry or expansive yeah. poets. Uh, it, it, <laughs> the decision to call them new expansive poets was made by committee. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, right. <laughs> Which is like, like, oh, we don't want to exclude the new narratives. But then, you know, uh, shit. It's so it is so funny. And it is it is kind of. Um, Oh, I don't know. Sort of, sort of silly in that respect. I mean, how how uh, almost overdetermined it all is. But, but at the same time, I would say, but it, but at the same time, it's we also cannot deny the fact that uh, you know it's sort of a fact of literary history that this happened, and that, and also that anthologies have been made with that title in right, mind, right, right. and yeah, that yeah, you yeah. know many many essays and even critical books have been written um, with that that label, and the reason why. And you know, as as possibly vague and um, poss and even you know, I mean, you could interpret it as a kind of misnomer as well, as yeah. as that term expansive poetry may be. Uh, and I I certainly <laughs> I can I can see how you could interpret it that way. Sure, yeah. um, still, I think it does open up uh, you know the term I don't know new formalist, which is a little limiting as you know as Nichols yeah. mentioned in his or intimated in his yeah, in his yeah, comment yeah. and has as of course you have a number of times and um and other other poets who write in meter and rhyme uh have you know expressed their oh I don't know regret that it even exists uh but <laughs> yeah. but it is but it but also I think um Mary Jo Salter um said or wrote once somewhere that um you know it was it was in response to someone saying someone asking her um well what do you think about being lumped in with the new formalists and she was right. like well i mean you know maybe it's problematic but but also it's it's a matter of convenience in the sense right. that um you know it 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 it's good for poets who are lumped into a group with other poets simply because the possibility of them <laughs> being read and actually their work actually lasting yeah, is yeah. a little bit higher than those who are just sort of floating off on their own uh, right. without any any such you know uh, uh, associations. No, I so, think I, um, I think that yeah. yeah, that totally makes sense, and that it's like another version of the the Matt Wall justification. Like it, it, it's a Wikipedia category. It's a way to exactly. it's a way to refer to people, and so in that sense, it is useful. What occurred to me is that like because particularly if you want to include the new narrative. Poets and looking at this anthology, I think you see some of both of those influences in here. Even if all of these, I think, are or at least most of these are at least nominally formal. Some of the Dana Joya ones sort of stretch the definition, but yeah. but they 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 are. You you also have a, a fair number of longish narrative poems in here. Uh, what occurred to me is what we really need is for there to have been a really iconic magazine 
that you could name them after. Because I think of like the fugitives or the language poets, in both cases, those are named after fairly short-lived magazines that were associated with a group of people. And so that's what's sort of missing. Like if there had been just some magazine that could have been called anything, then they would be the that poets, you know, and that right. that would be a little snappier maybe. Yeah, there was, um, I mean, the, the, not obviously a magazine, but there was Storyline Press, which published right. a lot of the new formalists. And actually, um, I just interviewed Shane McRae for the um, AWP Writers Chronicle. That mm. interview should be coming out, oh, I don't know, next couple of months. Okay. But anyway, um, Shane Shane said this said something which I had had no I, I had never heard before. Um, but he grew up in the town where Storyline was based oh. uh, on the West Coast. It was either Washington or Oregon, and um, and so like his exposure, his early exposure uh, to poetry in those formative years was all Storyline poets. So, oh. so it was all like so. So Sh Shane has the uh, the kind of strange and possibly dubious but certainly interesting distinction of of having you know come from that kind of a background of like wow. oh this is what contemporary poetry is it's new formalist poets yeah <laughs> so, that's, so no, that's really interesting. wild i mean that's also and i don't know i mean he's obviously written a lot about it and he's got a memoir coming out soon because he's the most yes. prolific man on earth except it's like shane and amit are neck and neck now for most prolific uh human being alive at least, yes. writing, at least writing in english but uh but he's written some about the i mean i don't know all the particulars but but the people who raised him who were not his parents were if i recall like hard right national like white nationalists oh wow uh, yeah yeah and that makes me somewhat uh anxiously wonder about like the proximity of like you know, it's like given given the 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 for the most part quite unfair stereotypes about new formalists being arch conservatives, or in some cases like paleo. I mean, like the the Joseph Salome Anton Yankovic crowd uh, actually. Well, yeah, I know, I, I, yeah. I, I picture now. I'm picturing storyline. This is this is anathema. This is not at all correct. But just <laughs> just as a, a sort sort of imaginative uh, exercise, I picture storyline being like in a bunker in the <laughs> right. in the Cascades or something. You know. Well, no, I'm one. You know, I don't know. I'm actually thinking of like. Uh, did you see the movie Green Room? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, fucking great, great movie. Great, like. Uh, the great, late, great, um, what was his name? Anton Yelkin, the, the, the kid who died very young, but um, uh, it's a, it's just like a really taut, brilliant uh, grindhouse movie starring Patrick Stewart as a white supremacist, you know, oh. villain. But it's, but it starts with this little punk band doing a show in a weird compound that turns out to be a neo-Nazi compound. And then they get stuck there and have to fight their way out. And I was just thinking, like, you could do that, but it would be, it'd be like, like a bunch of traveling poets accidentally give a poetry reading at a white supremacist poetry compound, uh, and then you have to machete <laughs> their way through legions of, of racist poetry fans. <laughs> do not go gentle into that good night. I'm picturing like Patrick yeah. Stewart with his uh, appropriately uh, neo-Nazi haircut. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. He, he, was, he was typecasting in that sense. At least. Right. Oh uh, god. No, I have to. I'll, I have to see that film now. It I is think really. I'll... I mean, it's it's strong. It's definitely not a date night film, but it is really very well done. Um. All right. So, do you want to jump into this anthology you sent? To, you know, this and this is sort of a. Uh, I do. I think like I kind of want now. Because I, I have like Jonathan. I've talked about this some off mic, but I, I really want there to be 
I want a trend, whether it be in individual anthologies, you know, selected poems, or even in, in larger anthologies of hyper, hyper selective collections. Like I want anthologies that are the length of a normal poetry book. I want you, if you do a new and selected of four books of poems, I want 25% from each book. Right. Like, and I like, because I think that's, it's more likely for people to read it. And I also think if what you want to do is like send people toward the work, just pick like the hits. Yeah. Pick like absolute killers and then people will go read more. Yeah. But I like, I mean, you sent like a 60 page little casual anthology titled, I think, wonderfully, Do Not Delete, uh, which is like helped because it was a PDF document when I got it. But, but I think like, I kind of want this to be a real anthology where you just like very small, urgent, unpretentious, and just like straight to the point. Um, yeah. But yeah, please. So g yeah, give us a, uh, this was your, this is sort of your case for new formalism, so to speak. Oh, I mean, it's one version of my sure. case, you know, I mean, this is, this is sort of, you know, I just sat down one afternoon and, um, and just kind of flipped through a bunch of books that I happened to have in my office and, you know, was like, okay, these are really good poems that I On wouldn't hand, want yeah. to lose, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, oh, I should say too, the, the, the title do not delete comes from a Rena Espayat, uh, sonnet. Oh, so, that's right. So yeah, in the yeah. Do, uh, do of, you are you sure you want to exist? Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, are, yeah, you, yeah. are you sure you want to exist? Which is a Freudian slip for uh, you know. Are you sure you want to exit? Which is the yep. the message that you get sometimes when you're trying to click out of something. You know, whether it's yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. No, I forgot. Yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't remember that. But yeah, that's true. So it does come. Yeah, back. It, but I thought it was a good. I thought it was a good anthology title. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Okay. So so I have. I think it's twelve poets and. I can't remember, like 28 poems or something like that. Something, yeah, something like and, that. Uh, and these range from, you know, the the OG, they're, they're all kind of new formalists, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so so Dana Joya and Timothy Steele and Mark Jarman, R.S. Gwynn, but then also folks who are only sort of loosely associated with new formalists mm -hmm. and thinking of Kim Adonizio, Rafael right. Campo, Jared Carter. Jared Carter is a poet who I think not a lot of folks really know about. He's I um, did not know him before. Yeah, he's this. actually an uh, an Indi Indiana poet. He writes mm. poems, almost all of his poems, you know, in 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 the way of um he 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 writes about a kind of fictionalized town or actually it's a county in his in his case and um all of all of his poems have some sort of narrative element. Although he doesn't write exclusively narrative poems, but he writes a lot. He does write a lot of longer narrative narrative poems. So um, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Winesburg, Ohio, for example. It'd be it'd be something akin to that. Uh, but it's uh, Mississinawa County, Indiana, which doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's like, a river, you know, you know, but it, Topa yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a real river, but fake, but a made sure. up fictionalized county. Anyway, he's he's a really interesting poet who I think nobody really. Talks about yeah, his long and, poem in here was one of my favorites. Yeah, which one was that? The the, the shriving, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a kind of a haunting. It's a crown, a sort of pseudo crown of sonnets. Yeah, yeah, pseudo crown, yeah. Um, but also a narrative as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Right, yeah. And it, I mean, in, in in a way, like maybe we may get to it, but the like it, somewhat. I mean, I was in some ways I didn't know how much it needed to be a crown, but it did have a cyclical quality to it that it, it yeah. existed sort of outside of chronology. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, yeah, so you, you chose these partly as like these are some of these are just straight down the line canonical new formalists and some are a little more peripheral to the group but they're all of that of that older generation because there are kind of like three or four i mean they're i feel like they're now like four waves of new of i mean because we don't like generations we're, we're so ridiculous with these now we're like we count a new generation every 15 years but there's like the there's the uh, the Joya generation, the the like Yazzie Stallings Megan generation, yep. the the like Austin Allen Ryan Wilson generation, and then and then like this these fucking Taylor Bias Alexis Sears whippersnappers who have no business publishing <laughs> as much as they do as good as work as the work that they do as young as they are. I know. I think of myself when I was when I was you know Alexis's age or something and. Just like, oh my God, you know, just the, just the fact that she, you know, publishes, you know, as the centerpiece in her book out of order, this astonishingly good sonnet crown is, I mean, I mean, I mean, she just has, you know, in your terms, she just has no business (laughs) being that that good. Slow down, Alexis. God damn it. Uh, but also Mary Jo Salter is in here and Rita mm-hmm. Espayat and Marilyn Nelson, uh, David Mason, of course. I think I named everybody. And yeah, the, almost all of the poems in here, with the exception of, oh, I don't know, maybe like three poems. Um, you mentioned Joya, for example, are formal poems. So they are either uh, mid-length blank verse narratives. I've included mm-hmm. a few of those or they're in meter and rhyme. Uh, so, so uh, the exceptions, <laughs> I guess, interestingly enough, are are Dana Joya's poems, and of course, Joya writes writes um, in free verse a lot, as well yeah, as yeah. In meter and rhyme. What at least the I'm trying to think the the first one seemed to me at least to be ostensibly in uh, accentual Dimeter. Yeah, yeah. I think trimeter, though it's. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell because, like, in some cases, I, I also, I, 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 um, I have great respect for him. I think his scansion is not the best. I think it's often almost the worst. But yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I think he probably would look at this poem as being a kind of a kind of. I don't know if he would classify this as being metrical, as being even accentual. I think he would just say it's a free verse poem. Yeah, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I would sure. say he would probably classify this as a free verse poem. Yeah. I would still take him to the Prosody Woodshed over Haunted, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah which, is, which, which, which thinks that it's in blank verse. But yeah, um, yeah, you, you want to pick a poem to start with? Maybe, sure. maybe we'll start. Maybe we start with a shortish one uh, so we can get our feet wet. Yeah, let's do that. Well, okay. So my my idea, one idea, might be to start with. I, I'm thinking of Cameron's, you know, just absolute dismissal of R.S. Gwynn as being a light verse poet. Yeah, yeah. which which he he certainly writes really accomplished light verse poems yeah, yeah. Um, also a genre of poetry that uh you know is a genre isn't, isn't talked about very much these right days, yeah, yeah, yeah you know um even, even though a lot of poets are writing light verse uh austin yeah. allen for example is in his new manuscript that he's shopping around has a really uh amazing light verse sequence which is a, a verse of uh, uh sorry uh, a sequence of limericks which are really straddling that interesting line between 
um, you know, the tragic and the comic. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So, so he's really good so, at that. And he also, I mean, on uh, so, it was some occasion back when Slavery was briefly on Twitter. He on command very quickly came up with a like brilliant tiny poem rhyming orange that uh, perfectly rhyming or that like, I mean, he, he is like just technically really gifted and and witty like he's he's his yes. wit is is pretty pretty unparalleled among uh current current new formalists but yeah um yeah so that makes that that, that explains why the two rs gwen poems you sent were uh were stone, stone sober i mean i think it's like they're actually still sort of funny because he's funny but they're funny in a in a heartbreaking way I, yeah i quite liked i quite like these so maybe uh i'll read at the center and maybe mm -hmm. we can just you know talk about it for a second yeah, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me at the center the pianist is playing Debussy beside the lobby cappuccino bar soft smiles and pastels everywhere you see the points not to remind you where you are or how you are the point is not to dwell on thoughts like these Look at this normal crowd, such as you'd find in any good hotel. But why does no one say its name out loud? Later you pass through elevator doors. Rising to higher levels, you recall rumors you've heard of rumors from these floors. How some guests never leave. How they display a preference for short hair or none at all. How no one asks how long you plan to stay. Yeah, this is a little uh, little sonnet, and is it English? No, not not English. It's sort of a hybrid. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a hybrid. I was, and this was one that I I blew through the octave until I got to. But why does no one say its name out loud? And then had to actually. You know, I'm very bad at reading poems cold, and so I had to sort of stop and and then actually pay attention. Uh, and it is. It's a it's a poem in which, just like its subject matter, it's very sort of easy to whiz past without noticing what's happening. Yeah, because at first yeah. everything that's happening seems very bland and quotidian. That's right. Yeah. By design. And um, I think I think too. Yeah, that's right. It's the it's the uh, eighth line which really starts to point us towards something a little more dire. And um, and and at the very least, noteworthy about yeah, about yeah, yeah. and it changes um, the emphasis of the previous line from you know I think the first time I read such as you'd find in any good hotel the emphasis in my mind landed on any right such as you'd find in any good hotel just like this one but of course it's it's only after the eighth line you realize oh it's not a hotel yeah. it's any good hotel other rather than what this is that's yeah, right so go go ahead and oh I, you know I I, I think I. I love this poem for um, how well, as you as you're suggesting, how subtle it is. Mm. Also, there's a kind of um, I love the the work that it's doing with the uh, with the second person point of view, which is which is really, <laughs> in spite of lots of lots of writers trying it, it's it's really kind of a difficult point of view to pull off. Um, oh yeah, I mean, a lot of people just use it as a simple substitution for first person, but I think here it's he's making use of it a little more than he might otherwise. Yeah. It's not just one. But yeah. What, what do you, what do you, uh, I keep, I keep interrupting you. Sorry. You, you actually can explain the point. Yeah, go ahead. No, not, no, not at all. Um, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily have any, uh, have any analytical 
revelations to make about this poem, only that I admire its formal facility and I admire the kind of, so I mentioned subtlety. So the one line, um, you know, the, the third line of the Sestet, for example, rumors you've heard of rumors from these floors. Of course, it's impossible not to hear one word, which is not actually said in the poem, which is tumors. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that, that, that echo, I think, is just brilliant and certainly intentional on, uh, on Gwyn's part. Of course, we know that because yeah. of the subject matter and also because of the repetition of that word, rumors. I love, too, how kind of uh, cold it is or a cold, how cold it sort of seems. Yeah. There's, another, there's, there's a su- suggestiveness, too, even to the title, at the center, at the oh, center. Right. What? It's you such know? An, like, it's such an, I mean, that's the thing is like, it's such a bland title. It's very easy, but it, but it's, it is, of course, we, this is the kind of place we call a center, just like there's certain places we call a facility yeah. uh, with a kind of a deliberate vagueness. And of course, it's also suggesting that we are, there is something in the middle. There's something at the core of this, which it turns out is a thing that's never named. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, and that, and that kind of beating around the bush or, or sort of circling or avoiding the, the subject, I think, is consistent with his use of the second person, which really reminds me of another, actually, another um, uh, cancer theme piece of literature, the, uh, the chapter slash short story, You Could Be Anyone in The Girl's Guide to Hunting and Fishing. Again, my favorite piece of secretly high art chiclet from the, I forget, late 90s, early 2000s. But it is in that I think it, it's an entire section told in the second person. It's fiction, but but the the suggestion that is again like there is a very specific experience going on, but at the same time it's one that is in some sense interchangeable with many others. You know that, that your personal identity doesn't matter so much. That that what matters right now is that is the reason you're here. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the way, too, that uh, disease and death obliterate identity and also just the the seriousness and direness of the situation, which is never which is never said directly. Another thing, too, which another sort of fact in the poem that is apropos of that understated title at the center. Is the um, and and also the, the the Gwen's use of the second person POV is the fact that we don't get. We never get an eye in the poem. Mm-hmm. It's as if the poet, I don't know, can't. He can't. He can't say, "I." He, you know, he he. In a way, he you know can't confess whatever he. I don't know. You, you know what? <laughs> what's the reason? Like, why are you writing this poem? Something. Something is happening. You know, in your life, poet. You know, something is happening. What? What is it that you're not telling us? And so, in a in an act of I don't know. It's at once an act of grace, but also an act of like not being able to to do it. You know, not not having the strength to do it. He he sort of like can't bring in his own uh, autobiography. You know, like cannot reveal these details of like why he's writing this poem. Who is the you? Um, where is the I's place in the in this little in this scene? Um, you know, who is the you and who is the I at the center? In the center. You know, so um, that's kind of I, I love that. I love that about it, too. Yeah, it, it's also I think it's a vindication of a couple of points of debate. One, you know, Cameron's emphasis as a reader, I think, is, is very much on the texture and quality of the language. Uh, and this is a poem in which, on the one hand, there's very little that you would call, you know, explosive or, you know, deliberately t- twisted or charged or compressed about the language 
at the same time, I don't think there's really much wasted. And I think this would be a very different poem if paraphrased. Uh, and then, I, and it's, you know, to that point as well, I think something Shane wrote in an email, I'm, I'm actually going to respond to it more length in another episode, but he, he sort of attacked the, the suggestion that poetry should be about conveying information, which is what he read in, in some of my uh, defenses. He said, it seems like what you want is information. And I think this is a poem in which, you know, the information in the poem is, is paraphrased in even simpler terms than the poem itself in terms the poem never bothers to use at all. I mean, the, this is a poem in which, in fact, the whole motion of the poem is never identifying the, the, the central or crucial information, but it is, this needs to be as it is. It needs to be as plain as it is. It needs to be as, as implicit as it is. And it's a, you know, I think, you know, it, it vindicates to me the, the value of voice in a lyric, which is really what I, I find that, you know, as I get older, I have, I have a harder and harder time really caring about poems that don't, that don't, in which I don't hear a human voice. And this yeah. one, even, even in that it is a, it's a, it's almost like the, the, the characterological equivalence of like Muzak. It's like a deliberately a deliberately textureless voice, but it's still yeah. one in which there's a lot of, and that, I mean, I think that that coldness that you talk about is allows for all of the pain and actual, you know, sympathy and anguish and love that is, you know, at the heart of this thing to be, to be suggested and implied and, you know, pricked and prodded without ever being identified. Yeah, and certainly not shouted like uh, you know, like um, Hopkins' poems tend to tend to do. I, lo I loved your your anthology about the you know it's 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 like one of those emails where it, it, like the the text is just bold like the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Oh <laughs> this man, text, yeah. This text is not is not shouted shouted bold. at times through a kazoo. When, when yeah. um, would you yeah read read this one more time just so people can get it in their heads because I know my dad always says you need to read the poem twice, which I which okay. I think he's mostly right about. Yeah. <laughs> At the center. The pianist is playing Debussy beside the lobby cappuccino bar. Soft smiles and pastels everywhere. You see, the point's not to remind you where you are or how you are. The point is not to dwell on thoughts like these. Look at this normal crowd, such as you'd find in any good hotel. But why does no one say its name out loud? Later, you pass through elevator doors. Rising to higher levels, you recall rumors you've heard of rumors from these floors. How some guests never leave. How they display a preference for short hair, or none at all. How none asks how long. How, sorry, how no one asks how long you plan to stay. Thank you. And, and once again, uh, Sam, sorry, Cameron, shit all over you. Uh, you're welcome to come on and, and yell if you like. Uh, what's, yeah, what do you want to talk about next? I think, well, you mentioned, um, you mentioned voice. I thought one of the comments that you and, you and Cameron were, were making, I think maybe Cameron, Cameron made it and you were responding to it. I can't remember, probably was the fact that a lot of new formalists can can sound very similar to each other mm -hmm. in terms of voice. Do, I do you, just quickly cuz cuz I also I I have I have been uh torn over that and thinking about it since and have written written to some people about it. 
that's just an impulsive observation I've had. And I have it about my own, like I have it about my own work often. Like I write poems and I think even when they're at their best, it feels like, well, this part of its being at its best is the way in which it approaches this. It's not impersonal, but I don't know. It's like um, unadulterated quality that some of the the cleanest and best of contemporary formal formal verse has. What, what is what is what you're actually a scholar? What am I observing? Am I observing? Is that a real phenomenon? What's going on? I I'm not I'm not really a scholar, um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of books behind you, and you teach at a university. You seem yeah. like a scholar, yeah. Fair enough. Elbow patches and everything, right? I don't know, but I would say um, in in your poems and in the poems of others, I would I would say Gwyn's poem that we just read is an example of this too. The point is not a kind of flashiness of 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 voice or tone. You know, the point is to have. I don't know. It's almost like a like a like a willing uh, willingness not to impose, the willingness not to shout in the reader's ear. You know, uh, but but to have the reader come to the poem on his or her or their own terms, uh, and and appreciate the poem as I don't know. It's a, it's a it's a I think of it as a kind of like you you don't want to impose this loud voice, this voice that makes loud sounds and sort of uh, sort of growls and um, and and shouts in the middle of the room. You know, look at look at me. This is me. Hear me. Hear me. You know, sort of a thing. Um, this is not at all a scholarly answer to your. No, no, no. But I mean, but that is. I mean, I think there is. There's something about it. There's some kind of distillation that happens, and it's. I mean, it's often it's true of like some of the poems I like best of like Edward Arlington Robinson, or even like you know, Edna Saint Vincent Millay certainly has a you know a certain a certain sass and twang to some of her poems. Yeah. But in some of her best, I think there is a real purity and clarity and who's the guy i always fucking forget who only wrote sonnets but they were really beautiful was it trumbull stickney is that the name i always forget jones jones very was is one of those poets sort of a uh a, i don't know a, jones uh, i'll have to look up jones very he's a oh, man he's a strange figure he's a sort he, of lesser he, very like the word like very you're okay. like, you're oh, very, like the word very nice. okay. yeah 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 uh tumble street he yeah he was a, a contemporary like a pretty much exact contemporary of uh of robinson too um oh, okay straight not not very very was a um contemporary of you know emerson and thoreau and those and those books. okay all right but yeah tr yeah stick yeah trumble stick yeah who seems like one of those guys who exists uh, existed sort of out of out of time who's the other one who i, I always place in the wrong century um <laughs> Walter Savage Lander, is that his name? Oh, yeah. I yeah. always think he's in the wrong set. And then I read him and I'm like, oh, wait, you lived then? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, what was, I actually, before we moved on, I wanted to quickly, because it, it did really, it was the, the odd, almost like achingly polite avoidance in this Gwyn poem did really remind me of, let me just pull up real quick because it's it, we don't need to talk about it, but I'm just going to pull up because it's it really did bring it to mind, and it, I think it also is one of these an example of this this odd phenomenon of like such a pure, clear distillation that the voice seems to disappear. This is uh, the very short poem "Down in the Valley" by Joshua Megan. Oh yeah, that's a great, that's a good one. It was her first time coming home from college. She headed downtown for a drink or two. Her girlfriend went home early. That was Christmas. Now, under sapling pine trees in the clearing, snowdrops are coming back to their old places. 
They had been gone a lifetime. Now they stand, poised like a choir on the verge of singing. Nature is just. There's nothing left to fear. The worst thing that can happen, happened here. And other than yeah. maybe the, the lines like, poised like a choir on the verge of singing, and then the, 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 the kind of brutal nature is just, which, which do have a very particular ring to them, most of the poem feels like it could be written by the same person who wrote the Gwyn poem, but not, but, but almost as a virtue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, I often um, ask my students to, you know, especially those who are new to poetry to, to, to take a look at a, a poem, read it a couple of times, let it sit, but, and then go back and, you know, think about what sticks out in your mind as being noticeable. You know, what yeah. is, what are the conspicuous aspects of this poem? And so in both of the poems that, that we just looked at, the, the Megan and the, um, and the Gwyn, you know, it's, it's, certainly, it's certainly not voice. And in fact, maybe what sticks out the most is that nothing really sticks out yeah. un until, you, until you let the poem wash over you a little bit and spend a little bit more time with the poem and think about, think about it more. And then, and, then, and then you realize it's the kind of, you know, in the Megan poem, it's, it's like the Gwyn poem, it's, it's what isn't talked about that's the most conspicuous thing. Um, which often happens in life, you know, which is, which is very much how we uh, deal with, with grief sometimes. I shouldn't say we, like the royal we, but how, certainly how some people deal with, deal with grief and, and tragedy. Right, which is part of, I mean, part of the, who I, was I can't remember if I put this episode, I was talking to somebody recently about like that turning to poetry in, a, in times in which our lives become sort of iconic. The, the um, uh, Larkin's phrase is, you know, ma uh, marriage and birth and death and thoughts of these. These are times when, they are extremely intimate, extremely personal moments, but they're also the moments in which we are most like all of our ancestors and all of our descendants. We are most like anybody else who, who also yeah. is born and dies and, and mourns. Yeah. Um, the, it's funny, the, the, I don't know if you have read the newest Shane McCray book, the um, Pain Named the Animal. Um, he, I feel like he often like chooses his titles in order to like, almost like, like put a Zen koan in your head. Like, how does, what am I like? Sometimes I never suffered. What? How? <laughs> but yeah, Cain named the animal, which like then only really makes sense when you read the poem, but his, uh, one of my favorite poems in there, I think a beautiful little poem about Eurydice. It's like, like, did we need another Eurydice poem? And he strangely like does something really lovely with it, but it was, and we were talking to Cameron. I think that was his least favorite because it, it had some of this like extremely distilled quality to it. In some ways it was like the least, the least McCrayish poem in the book, uh, uh, but it, yeah, but again, like in this, with this sort of funny virtue. But yeah, sorry, I've derailed. Let's get, let's get us back to your anthology. What, what's um? So yeah. anyway, I wanted to look so so that we can get a um a, a poet whose voice is a little bit more. I don't know where where voice is a little bit more um, privileged or or noticeable mm -hmm. in the poem. Uh, it's more of a it's more of a thing that the poet is focusing on. More of a focus yeah. of the poem. I wanted to look at one of Mary Jo Salter's poems. Um, I mean, the, so I include three here, um, The Reader, The Age of Reason, and Trompe L'Oeil. So I don't know, we should look at, I think, either The Reader or The Age of Reason. So The Age of Reason is, a, is an earlier poem of hers. You know, so the, so the new formalists, one of, one of the ways in which they, one of the things they were 
responding to, just like the language poets, was you know the was basically con the confessionalism. You know, the confessional eye, yeah, yeah. and um, the the focus the focus on the autobiographical eye. Cameron made a comment to the effect of like, oh, well, the new formalists, like all of their lyric poems are autobiographical. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's not entirely true, but that is true to a certain extent. But I would say, <laughs> yeah, but the focus isn't on the self. The focus is on, you know, issues beyond the self. Those, the, now the, the situation happens to be, and sometimes even the narrative happens to be based on autobiographical material, sure. But, um, but the poem is not about that centrally. You know, in other words, it's not about the growth of the poet's mind or something, uh, or 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 confessing a, something shameful yeah, about yeah, the yeah. poet's past. Uh, uh, you know, etc. Sharon an old style, yeah, yeah. The, um, the I, I do wonder with that kind of remark because because you in your in your long essay pointed to I think some really good examples of poets in this broader category taking on sort of thorny subjects that are maybe matter to them personally, but aren't really part of their personal histories. I wonder as the, like, as the, I don't know, I mean, movement is such a silly word, but like, as that category has passed on to other generations, I do wonder if it has become a little less adventurous in subject matter. Like there are poets, like, I mean, Ryan writes these poems that are very far removed from his own experience. But I think it is, I see more, like I think Cameron's comment is actually more true with regard to the younger formalists. Yeah, and that's that's true of someone like Sears for for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, she, she writes really compellingly about her own stories, uh, you know, her own life. But yeah, they are sort of. If if there's one criticism that you know someone like Cameron might like right. to make, uh, you know, or might like to you know sort of scratch at or pick pick on, yeah. Um, yeah, that might be that might be something. Yeah, but let's, yeah, let's look at um... it is an interesting point, and I've 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 thought about it myself too. Um, but I think I think those those of us who spend sometimes years writing, for example, dramatic monologues in which the voice is very far from our own right. experience. You know, for instance, um, this this is this just came to mind because it's a kind of you know obvious example. Even though no one knows this poem, it's in my forthcoming book. But it's a but it's a poem. Okay, so here's here here's my getting sidetracked now a little bit. Please, here's please. my that's the argument. Whole the whole point of podcast is to constantly get sidetracked and never get to your actual subject matter. Yeah, go ahead. That's why that's why it's so much fun to listen to. <laughs> it's like wh where's the payoff? Where's the payoff? <laughs> there is no payoff. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I have an idea about dramatic monologue. I don't know if this is original to me. I don't. I don't know if it's an original thought. It probably isn't, of course. But my idea is that the fur the further a poet gets from his or her own autobiographical experience in writing dramatic monologues, the closer they actually get to their own experience. So, in other words, it's a way of you could almost think of it as a way of uh, of confessing, of even writing in a kind of confessional mode, but without using your own experience as the kind of focal point or another way of putting that is that it's it's only possible to write about this material in your own life or in your own psyche by getting outside of that and sort of displacing all of that business onto another character you know yeah so so i think of um really sort of extreme examples like uh frank bedart's herbert white 
which is about a uh, uh, you know necrophiliac serial killer. Yeah. Um, you know, really just one of one of I, I think one of the one of the best dramatic monologues certainly of the 20th century. Um, and also, what a so th I still cannot you know this this book was probably uh, or that poem was probably published in I think it's. I don't know. Let, let's call it 1970 or 19, you know, 69 or something. Yeah. But the point is that it's the it's the first poem in Bedart's first book, which is Herbert fucking White. And, I mean, like the balls on this guy. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bedart, I was thinking you know? of like like Maury Creech. I guess it's his second book. It's the first book of this I read in field. Fuck, is it field work or field notes? Damn it. Oh yeah, yeah. Fuck. But yeah, it's a great, great book, but he has um, a couple poems where he talks about Pee-wee Reese, who's like a horrifying serial killer. Right. But yeah, it would be like that, except it's just, just he just started the book with that in the first person. Yeah, oh. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And so and so like, you know, and so I, ha I have uh, this poem in um, in the my new book, which is coming out in February called Mrs. Baumeister, which is a poem in the voice of the wife of a serial killer, or I should say an accused serial killer. Uh, he, he killed himself before he could ever go to trial. But he had a wife and two kids, and they lived north of Indianapolis. Um, this is in the 90s, 1990s. And so, and so what Baumeister, her Baumeister would do uh, is he would go kind of prowling. He would leave his house, you know, you know, kiss his wife and kids or whatever, leave his house and go and pick up um, gay men and bring them, you know, at, at various bars and whatever, and then and then lure them back to his house north of Indianapolis and, you know, have have his way with them. And then he would murder them and burn them and bury the scatter them in his backyard which was a big like an old horse farm and so um i think was happening out there i know i know his doing his, a barbecue his, every night and you never serve dinner like what's going on what is i the, know you're burning oh, bodies <laughs> i know it's insane so, so anyway so so i not I, to blame her but like good no, god no, that's no, amazing i i know it's I know it's crazy, but anyway, so, so, but, uh, one of the reasons, I mean, the, the, maybe the entire reason that I, that I wrote this poem was because my, my wife, who I've known since we were both 23 years old, she grew up down the street from the fucking Baumeisters. Oh my God. <laughs> so she was around and this is in the nineties where, you know, we're, we're both 44. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, we were, you know, we were. Uh, coming of age in the in the 90s and so 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 my wife would ride the school bus with Baumeister's kids you know, you know it's just it's so it's so so crazy anyway and so anyway. what what is the what's the you got to plug your proper book properly what's the name of your book that's coming out it's called uh some problems with autobiography and, oh, oh uh, yeah, yeah yeah i remember that yeah, yeah and it won the won the 2022 new criterion prize it's coming out with criterion books in uh february uh, and so the official release date is February 28th, I believe. But, but, you know, if you want, you can, it's available for purchase for pre-order. Uh, okay. You pre we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put it, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, yeah. And you're you. the key, cause this is the new criterion does their, their prize and they put out um, whatever press they work with puts out one of these every year. And they're, they're like solid, handsome, uh, hardcover books. The trick is they all have the same, it's like a lot of these uh, contests, they all have the same design. The question is, 
which colors did you get? Because some yeah. look great and some look like dog shit. So what did yeah. you, you do? Are you pink and green? What do you have? Yeah. Well, um, I showed, I showed, so this, here's the, here's the, you okay. know, that's actually not bad. Everybody, we're, we're on, Matthew and I are on Zoom, so we can, yeah, you know, yeah. we can see each other. But, okay, uh, that actually good. looks like a like a respectable respectable look. I also, I should note, especially with pastels, I'm colorblind enough that it might look horrible, and I wouldn't know, but it looks fine to me. That was the first half of my conversation with Brian Bridger. If you'd like to hear the second half, then sign up for the secret show. Go to sleeverickets.substack.com. You can get a week's access for free. Uh, and then it's still pretty cheap after that for three extra episodes a month, including uh, the second half of this, this conversation, which will be up there in the next couple days. Thank you for listening. You can reach me, as always, at sleerickets at gmail.com. And with any luck, I will be speaking to you again very soon. Until then.